We're sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. Oh, tubular, dude. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get Get it for free free in the the App Store. Store. Hello. (gasps) Again? Yeah, you gotta keep... keeping you on your toes uh, yeah i'm my tippy tippy toes yeah i'm like doing point in ballerina i was gonna say you're wearing your ballet flats i well, i did point actually i did really? ballet for a while yeah my little toes bled <laughs> oh how old were you uh f- 13 14 okay I that's did- actually a common occurrence for people who just start doing point it's yeah very gross and weird yeah i've heard that yeah um no feet pics from ballerinas in my, <laughs> no, in no my inbox. No feet pics. No feet pics. Um, hey, welcome to Wisteria Gaze. Oh, thanks. This is a podcast where I'm Mackenzie. And I, Liz. Watch and discuss every episode of Desperate Housewives and we're gay. We're so gay. It's like if you saw us on the street, you know that we were You'd gay like, just by those looking at us. Homosexuals. Yeah, and yeah. then you would throw up. You just barf everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how most people react to me. I don't know if it's the gay thing, but uh no, I'm pretty just, sure it's the gay thing okay. with me at least. At least with at least with you. <laughs> For me it's debatable. Yeah. <laughs> I am excited to talk about this episode. I liked this episode. A decent amount. I thought this episode was just really great all around. Yes. I thought it was very comedy heavy in yes. a very good way. Very I thought the good. writing was very sharp and I thought the performances, everybody was giving their A game. It flowed. It was yeah. funny. It was great. It, it moved some stuff forward. It flowed in so many parts that I didn't even think like it could flow in yes just with like transitions and everything and even bringing the apple whites back in a way that didn't feel as forced as sometimes they tend to feel yes it was great i'm i'm very excited to talk about this episode and if you don't know we're talking about season two episode 17 you want some top of show facts i'm excited to tell you who wrote this facts. episode okay so this episode premiered march 26th 2006 we're getting close to like our date. I wonder if we're gonna sync up at all. That would be really cool. <laughs> Let's try to sync the air date of season three with, with yes, 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 yes. yes. Uh, and we got two new names for writer and director. Okay, so two people we've never had before. It was written by Scott Sanford Tobis, and I literally could not find any other work this person has done. Okay, he wrote this episode of Desperate Housewives. It's a good episode. So congrats. And he wrote the desperate housewives pc game oh my god that's oh my god oh my god oh my god i have goosebumps i have goosebumps all over me i see i did not tell you i hinted at you earlier that i was excited to tell you about the writer and i wanted your your live reaction on the podcast yeah i i thought it was gonna be something like he wrote josie and the pussycats (laughs) i wish I that game is so good and we do need to play more we of it. We need to play more of it, yeah. Um, if you haven't seen us, we've been playing the game a little bit. Uh there's videos on our website about it, but it's it, of our playthrough of the PC game from 2006. Yes. But this guy wrote has writing credits on it and those are like the two things he's done. Those are two great writing credits. <laughs> he 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 knew. He went, "I hit my peak. I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm leaving. 2006, I'm out." And that's that's Scott. And it was directed by a woman named Pam Thomas, who also hasn't really done a lot outside of this episode. Okay. They're just a dynamic duo. They burned bright. 
I left. Um, but she has directed a few episodes of Sex the City. And she actually recently directed one episode of the show Atypical that's out right now. Oh. And she's the wife of Dave Thomas, who is an actor who's an Emmy Award winner. And he's famous for his sketch comedy work with Rick Moranis and his multiple oh. appearances in iconic 80s and 90s films like Rat Race, Coneheads, <laughs> and the 2004 comedy White Coats, which is bad objectively. But I really was into it in middle school because I was gay there's hot women in it and it played on comedy central at midnight for hashtag sondheim watch could i leave you the title of this episode is a song written by sondheim for the musical follies and for wisteria international in most other countries this was a called separations okay which makes sense and in france always wanting to be different but actually not really weird this time it was called broken bonds mm. all good all good episode names yeah and that's all I got for my top of episode facts. <gasps> I feel like I'm a newscaster and I'm like, now back with the weather, Liz. <laughs> Thanks, Mackenzie. Anyway, I'm ready to dive in. I'm ready to dive in so hard. Yeah? Yeah. I'm okay. going to just cannonball right in. We begin with Gabby Solis. We find out that she's always been a demanding shopper. Uh, whenever she gets something in that she doesn't quite like, she always sends it back. And I immediately went, oh, wow, you're equating kids to shopping? I mean, a kid is the exact same as a little well, Gucci dress. They they get... <laughs> They get into it. Um, that was for you. Yeah, thank you. Um, they uh, they do get into it in the scene, mm -hmm. kind of near the end where they say, you can't really replace a kid, which is why she's being so careful about this. Yes. But careful, but also judgmental. I, oh, yeah. I was just going to say rude. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, they... Uh, they Gabby and Carlos are at their new adoption agency, uh, their under-the-table agent, and he presents them with a woman who's pregnant and is very close to giving birth, and Gabby does not want her her baby because Gabby she, thinks she's ugly yes. and, and the, they the show has very much given us the very common quantifiers of look this is an ugly person on television by you know giving her um kind of like messy hair a bit of a unibrow which like I feel like it's very strange to me that unibrows got such a bad rap in media yeah uh, just you know other quantifiers she seems like a perfectly fine person and Gabby is like uh she's nasty and nasty and Carlos at first is like I don't care. I'm going to love whatever baby we get. Can you chill the fuck out? Um, but then she wormed him, her way into his brain and he immediately goes back in and sees Deanna. We find out her name mm -hmm. is Deanna and kind of gets on Gabby's page of not wanting half her baby. Yes. I don't agree with this, but I will point out the way she, this woman was licking guac off of those tortilla chips that did gross. gross me out. Yeah. So that grossed me out, but yeah. nothing else about her did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, the, the licking of the guac, just the, the close that they did on her teeth and tongue. I was like, okay, that's a little gross. So they decide not to go with Deanna and Gabby shuts the door on the car. See you later. And, and that's where she sort of points out like, we're going to be looking at this face for 18 years. I want to like it. And then we get the opening credits. The full opening credits. Yes. For the first time in like 20 episodes, oh, it feels like. It was good to be back. It was good to be back. And right after the opening credits, we have one of those really great transitions because we have Mary Alice coming in talking about Deandra. 
Deandra? Deanna. Deanna. Where did I get Deandra from? They're similar. Uh, Danielle. <laughs> Danielle. <laughs> we get a Mary Alice monologue saying that Deanna gave birth to a very handsome boy well, the next said, day. Okay, I have a question. 653. I have a question for you. Sure. Mary Alice once again is saying she gave birth to a baby who would then become a very attractive young man. And now I raise the question I posed in season one of the omniscience of Mary Alice Young. How far into the future is Mary Alice? Slash, does she just see the future now that she's dead? I think she is recounting these things. Okay, because sometimes she like references things in the future, right? And I get a little like, hmm, where are you, Mary Alice? But she's also dead. So can she be in the future if she's dead? What I like thinking about is Mary Alice is in some sort of afterlife Mm -hmm. and she is sort of telling the story of her friends. It it really feels like she has all watched this play out before and she's telling somebody the story of how her death impacted her friends and like what happened to them in their lives because of it. Yeah, I just... I like that a lot. I just thought it was interesting her this is we don't get a lot of moments of Mary Alice referencing the future necessarily. Yeah. But that was a moment like of her being like knowing what this baby would look like. I was like, Oh, that's a very interesting choice of words to make yeah. that made me think about where Mary Alice is and what all she is seeing. But we can obviously move on because we pretty quickly cut to Dr. Ron. Yes, as the umbilical cord of that baby gets cut, Dr. Ron's looking to cut some d- his umbilical cord <laughs> his umbilical as well. umbilical cord with <laughs> Susan, yeah. Dr. Ron comes in. He comes in hot and he's like, who the fuck is Mike? <laughs> yes. Breaks a window. He just, I, you know, the, the Dr. Ron, annoyed, I've gotten to the point, I liked him a couple episodes. I think I definitely don't like him anymore. But I do, I do appreciate his straightforwardness, yeah, and his like ability to a- adequately communicate his like feelings, even if I think they're stupid sometimes. Because I feel like a lot of people on these shows, i.e., Susan in this scene, like to lie and hide things, and it's like I, I do appreciate that Doctor Ron is like, "Hello, you hurt my feelings. Who's Mike?" He <laughs> yeah. just kind of lays it all out on the table, and Susan lies. She says she doesn't know a Mike, which. Everybody knows a Mike. That was a funny bit. <laughs> it, it's it's such a good bit, and I'm glad that they kept it up throughout the episode. Spoiler alert. There was another line, too, when he said, you committed to, uh, insurance fraud, and she said, only in the legal sense. Yeah, because she says she doesn't know a Mike, and then he says, okay, then who's the guy you're married to? <laughs> and then that exchange happens. Yeah, this scene I felt was very funny and like quick-witted and like it, it, it just the comedy of it really worked for me it felt like sort of a parody of the genre itself mm-hmm. like it did feel very soapy like who is this man okay then who is that man yeah yeah, yeah but yeah, because yeah. it was so extravagant it felt like a parody of itself it was funny it really worked for me it was like the first scene i mean this is one of the first scenes we get right in the scene in this episode and i was like oh this is tasty this is good i like the pacing and that kind of pacing and comedy level kept up for me through the episode but i really liked the scene i thought it was just a great scene yeah and that's essentially what happens in that scene well susan does set up herself for disaster by inviting dr ron over for a thruple date with carl (laughs) 
so that Dr. Ron can see that there's nothing between her and Carl anymore. Yeah. And I don't think she really, it's not really disaster. She just wants to clear the air. I just, when I heard come have dinner with my idiot ex-husband, I went, Susan, don't do that. I was like, Susan, how could you not see this coming? Mm-hmm. And then we cut to Brie. She's at her AA meeting. Yay. There is a man talking about how he hit rock bottom. And then the the leader of the group, whose name I think is Peter. Yeah. I don't know if we hear it this episode, but it's in the credits as Peter. Yeah. I don't remember hearing it, but that's what his name is. Yeah. So Peter asks Brie to share. And she kind of is like... Oh, I can't top that story, so why even try? It was very, once again, very funny. We're yeah. getting this comedy. And then we quickly cut to Brie uh, after the meeting, kind of cleaning up crumbs on a mm-hmm. table. Peter walks up to her and asks how long she's been dry, how, how long she's not been, been sober. Yeah, 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 sober, yeah. that's the word. I, I actually found him kind of charming and sweet and in the scene and through the whole episode. And, and he very quickly clocks that she's still drinking. Because when she says she doesn't know, he's like, oh, you're still drinking. Cause, and I would agree with this as someone who's known people that have gone through these programs before. You you know every day. You know every single day it has been since the last time you've used your substance. And so, like, I fully think that was a very smart way and very, um, in my in my experience, true to life of him being able to see that. But he doesn't judge her for it. He just says, like it felt like he was more so like, Oh, I can, I can help you not there. I didn't feel a lot of judgment from him in a way that I enjoyed. Yeah. But she's still in denial. And I thought this, uh, that Peter's actor did a very good job of showing how he's like, Oh, you're, you're not even there yet. You're not, you have the first step is admitting. Yeah. And so he's, I think it was just, it was interesting to me. Yeah. And then we cut to Lynette. She is interviewing a beautiful woman. The lesbian from True Blood. Yes. Lesbian of the episode nominee. <laughs> the character from True Blood? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, We're doing a little crossover episode. Yeah. The lesbian from True Blood is our lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, Lynette's trying to scout her to try yeah. to get to work for her. She's got donuts and things like that. Yeah, sweeten the pot a little bit. Yeah. And then this woman whose name I can't remember at the moment. Do you remember it? I think it might be Veronica. Veronica? Okay. Possibly. Well, she mentions that she has a son named Donovan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the like spark goes off on Lynette's eyes. She's like, Oh, um, did you know that we have a full daycare that is an old conference room we've converted into a daycare? But but Veronica, I joke about it, but Veronica's pretty impressed because she sees the daycare, she sees that there is a space for kids to hang out and be together. And this is where she mentions uh this will be great because people are kind of weird around her current job about her and breastfeeding because she breastfeeds and people kind of just give her weird looks and stuff like that yeah which i feel like that's still is a thing a lot of women deal with in terms of being able to breastfeed in public and people viewing it as a as a grotesque act or as a as a like a sexual explicit, yeah, sexual like, act and like women should be able to breastfeed anyone really who is breastfeeding a child should be able to breastfeed them if they want to like yeah. obviously we get a little bit more complicated later in the episode but just as a baseline that's how i feel about breastfeeding is like people should be able to do it if they if they need to yeah. in public it's it's just feeding a child. I don't yeah. know. So yeah, it, it is. I feel like we've definitely 
society it's interesting to think that that was i feel like that was a very hot button topic especially in the early aughts of mm-hmm. like breastfeeding in public i feel like was i feel like with lynette they sometimes really try to talk about like hot button topics at the time especially parenting topics yes and i feel like like with with spanking like what you know to people spank or to not spank and to breastfeed in public or not like i feel like those are very reminiscent of the early aughts to mm-hmm. me i agree but Veronica accepts the job. I think Lynette has effectively wooed her. She feels like she can be the mother she wants to be here at whatever the hell this place is called. And then we cut to Gabby again. Gabby and Carlos. Yes. She's rejected almost all of the women uh, that she's been shown. She wants somebody hot. And their um, agent starts talking about there's this new girl, uh, if you reject her, there's literally nobody else. So be good. And, and he says she's not a great person, but she's attractive. In in my brain, yeah. I didn't hear that line one. Oh. But two, I uh I I went, what if it's Danielle? <laughs> what if Danielle <laughs> what if Danielle gets pregnant with Matthew's baby? Whoa, that'd be fucking bonkers. That would be really fucking that'd bonkers. That'd be bonkers bananas. Yes. And then when it's found out that Matthew's a killer, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> prediction corner, early prediction corner. Um, well, it's not Danielle because it's Libby. It's Libby. And I have I interesting... Wish Libby from Sabrina. Yes, that would be really good. That would be a great crossover. Um, I have some mixed thoughts about this storyline. Yeah. I just... It, it feels very young. It feels very... Yeah, um. Yeah grade school pardon my pardon my language whoa uh this is probably the only part of this episode i have an issue with it just feels like they're really doing a heavy-handed beauty on the inside does not equate beauty on the outside (laughs) except take that flip it and reverse it (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah but there's something important i have to say yes when libby walks in Gabby wants to fuck her. She does want to fuck her. And I think we're both on the same <laughs> page. Last of the episode, nom. Yes. I almost would give her two noms from how much she's like, now this I can work with. Yeah. I was like, Gabby, what's, she's hell in a Peabody. She wants to fuck a pregnant woman. Yeah, she has, she has a kink. <laughs> um, That's for all my L word stands out there. <laughs> but yes, we find out that Libby is a dancer at a club. She she's, she's in Showgirls. Yes, she's in Showgirls. She's she she's a pole dancer. She does it um as her passion. Yeah, she wants to be a choreographer. She's been working on some dances down at the club. Yeah, and, and called stuff. the Serpent's Tongue. That's fucking amazing. Let's me know the episode The Serpent's Tongue. I love that. The Serpent's Tongue T-shirts. <gasps> yes, like that's a that's a very good n- club name. Yes. That is, I that hope is very good. We revisit. Yes. And the only thing, because, like, my, I think that they're definitely trying to lean into, like, one of the worst things about her is what she does for a living. But I don't necessarily think that her job is, is bad. Like, you know, no. like, oh, plenty of women do that for a living. And I think that that's absolutely fine. So it, it, I think that is also a dated part of the storyline, I think, is yeah. that it's so um, heavy handed with, like, her job is a big part of why she is a bad choice quote unquote for motherhood or whatever. And I, I just, I disagree with that, but I think yeah. that, that definitely just dates the storyline. I would almost argue that it's, it's not that her job is what makes her a bad candidate. It's 
her job makes her a bad person, which yeah. makes her a bad candidate. Which is like, uh, no. <laughs> and yeah, you know, and yeah. which is something I don't agree with as well. <laughs> yes. I have nothing but love and adoration and respect for women who yes. dance at clubs and are strippers and sex workers and we stand. But we have to stand and love and support sex workers in this house. Yes. But Libby sucks. Libby does um, suck. She so support every other woman but Libby. Yes. She just wants money. She asks for a Harley at one point, and Carlos and Gabby definitely are kind of downplaying how much money they have. Oh, and she clocks it. Yeah, because she sees the watch. She sees the ring. She knows. So then she decides to retaliate them kind of underplaying their wealth by being a little racist. Yeah. A little a lot. She's being pretty racist. Yeah. And, um... We kind of end the scene like that. There is one small thing that we should mention. Libby does say that she does not know who the father of her baby is. Oh, yes. That's definitely a very important part of the plot. But for now, let's cut to Susan in a wheelchair with Brie and Gabby. I, I think I said this to you while I was watching the episode. I, you know, I've had... A surgery where I had to have a an internal organ taken out. I had my appendix taken out, and and I wasn't in a wheelchair for like a week. She, what? I just feel like that's a very strange. I mean, unless something went really really bad, or I just feel like if it's like a laparoscopic surgery, I don't know. I'm just confused why she's having to be in a wheelchair after the surgery. I don't know. Maybe it's like because it was also a heart thing. Oh, maybe. I so guess. maybe just. She's going to be very winded for a few days, so it's easier to just be in a wheelchair than to physically walk around. That makes sense. Yeah. I also am just worried that they only did it also for comedy effect. Does it yeah. Make sense? Like her not being able to get out of the door and her falling all over the place. And I worry that it's there's like weird ableist undertones with them using her being in a wheelchair for comedy. You know what? You're right. There is. I only <laughs> just realized that as well as I yeah. was talking. Because I'm like, I feel like the only reason she's in the wheelchair is because they, because why not? And because in the first scene, even with Dr. Ron, he was like mimicking her wheeling with his chair. Yeah. And yeah, later we see her trying kind to get fumbling. across the street. I think they were just trying to make it funny, which I, I don't think I love either. Yeah. But hey. She's looking at a photo of Libby, and Libby has the craziest eyes in this. It's, it's very funny. such a good photo, though. But Gabby is showing Libby's pictures to Susan and Brie. They all agree she's a beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. They all are like, and, and Br- Gabby is sort of just telling them about Libby. And they're ma- definitely making judgmental faces about um, Libby's work and about just the kind of person she is. But then Carl comes in. Yeah, and he, like, calls her babe or something. Hey, hey babe, Susie Q, my babe. <laughs> He's such a weirdo. And they go into the kitchen. Gabby and Brie have this sort of moment being like, oh, my God, why did he call her babe? They're clocking the vibes yeah. a little bit because Brie is like, I always thought they'd get back together. And I'm like, why is this the first time we're hearing about this Brie Vandekamp? Okay. But Carl and Susan are talking about the dinner. Yes. Susan invites him. And uh, this scene had a lot of very funny moments. We have the return of the Mike joke, as <laughs> well as Carl's not really into it at first. But Susan goes, you banged your you banged your secretary. You owe me your life. <laughs> He's like, you're right. <laughs> I, I The thing is, I... 
this is McKenzie prediction corner. I do think that I, I just feel like they're building to something between Susan and Carl. Yes. Romantically, sexually, in whatever capacity you would like it to be. But I, I kind of love them as friends. I love them as friends. I like this vibe. I like this vibe of you owe me your life. Ah, your eyes is a you. Like, yeah. I just, and like him kind of making fun of her, but it being kind of sweet and then funny. Like, you know, when you're with someone that long, they're gonna always be a part of your I feel like they're always gonna be a part of your sphere in, in a way like I feel like if you're with someone for 12 years married probably with them for more so if you've mm-hmm. known them for 15 years they were probably best friends the whole time they were married and even though I just feel like I can see that with them yes and I think that I enjoy them as friends a lot because it makes sense to me that he would still be an important part of her heart even though he hurt her and even though they're not together anymore and like we talked about this before but there's a reason they were married. They have chemistry. They yeah. like that is there, but And Bree points that out. Bree says that the, the sparks were there when they were having good times. But I want to keep it more of a friend chemistry. Yes, I like it when they're friends. I like it. It feels like it feels mature of them to have gotten to a point where they can go on a, like a, you know, a thruple date with Dr. Ron and like be friends and just hang out and Oh, I feel like they're going to ruin it with sex. Yes, they are going to do that. Yeah. Um, but for now, we go back to the office. Yes. We see Lynette and, as I continued to call her in my notes, the lesbian from True Blood, working. And Lynette takes a phone call and Veronica's like, oh, perfect. My son's here. I'm going to go grab him and give him a little lunch. <laughs> and Lynette is on the phone with, I'm assuming, Tom, maybe. And she sees that this child is walking and like three feet tall. And she's like, oh, that's older than I thought this baby would be for Mm -hmm. breastfeeding. And Lynette and Ed kind of have a fun physical comedy moment when Lynette is scoping the breastfeeding and Ed sees it as well. They both kind of run all like run into each other and topple around each other while they try to break away. It was a funny moment, I think. Yeah. And that's really all we get from there. Oh yeah. But we get get way more later. (laughs) Uh, But for now, let's go back to Brie she brings in a tray of snacks for Andrew and his lawyer. Uh, it's uh, such a, I don't know. I just think it's funny how she does that. It was because she was like, here's some, some snacks for you and your friend. As if Andrew would just be hanging out with like this 50 year old man. It's his new boyfriend. It's his new boyfriend. Andrew is mad that Brie is what he is perceiving to be sucking up to the lawyer. I think Brie is just being Brie, but also trying to like... I think slyly, it's both. Yeah, slyly show how good of a mom she is, but that also makes sense that she would do that. Well, his lawyer starts talking about it once she leaves, mm-hmm. and he says, you need to come up with a different tactic, or we need to come up with a different tactic, because if this goes to court, family court is all about presentation, and your mom is fucking owning it. Yeah, and he says, like, the drinking was the silver bullet, and AA, and what she is showing to the world that she's doing to improve that is help is taking that away. So basically the, the slam dunk that they had with her alcoholism and the f- faked abuse that I, I don't know if the lawyer knows if it's faked, but the faked abuse that was their ticket to winning in court and it's gone now. Yeah. And then we see the apple whites for the first time in a thousand years. And it felt very natural. It was good. It was good. Betty is playing piano and Matthew asks for some money. But as soon as Betty asks what it's for, it is for Danielle's birthday next week. Betty is the president of the Danielle hate club and is like, (laughs) you're not getting any money from me for that girl. 
<laughs> no, 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 sir. They start having a screaming match. And uh, Matthew starts talking about how he wants to, like, get rid of Caleb, essentially. Once again, we have flip-flopped the character point of view, right? Because wasn't he just, we need to take care of him and keep him in a bedroom and da-da-da-da. Wasn't that Matthew, like, three episodes ago? No. So, in the beginning, Matthew was was very much I don't know anymore I don't know I'm gonna be honest with you I don't know anymore I think he was anti-Caleb and then he became pro-Caleb and now he's anti-Caleb again okay and Betty was the opposite okay and I, it's hard to keep track it's they're just flip-flopping these characters points of view way too much you know I understand Matthew saying he feels like this has taken over their lives and he sort of is just like we just need to let professionals take care of him yeah. and I I let me ask you a question. Sure. I thought that the issue wasn't that Caleb is harder to take care of, quote unquote, because of his neurodivergence. I thought the the problem was that he killed somebody and you're running from the cops. Right? Um, like, I thought that's why the problem is there. No, 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 no. Because no. Matthew knows that Caleb didn't kill anyone. <laughs> so that's why he's saying this. Because Matthew knows that Caleb didn't actually kill Melanie Foster because it was probably him or another third party. Oh, I just, I just, the Apple White story is really messy to me. Oh my God, what if it was Betty? What if Betty killed someone? The, the That'd girl? be amazing. Because Caleb came home and was like, she rejected me. And then Betty was like, I'll protect my baby. And then Betty kills Danielle. <laughs> Danielle is not going to die. This is my prediction. I predict that she will yep. be here all eight seasons. Maybe she'll give birth. Her and Julie have get pregnant at the same time. Like the pregnancy pack yes. on Lifetime. I don't know. I just, I don't, we don't have to dwell on it too much. I just felt, I just continue to feel like the Apple White story is very messy and there's a lot of plot holes and it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And so we don't have to dwell on it too much right now. Cause that's basically the scene. I think it ends by Caleb interrupting and they try to sort of smooth over things for Caleb's sake. She gives him 20 bucks to go grab a gift for Danielle. Yeah. And that's basically that scene. Now let's go to Lynette. Mm-hmm. She's in a board uh, meeting with Ed and a bunch of other executives and this man who's in a lot of shows. And, Mitch uh, Silpa. Okay. I Mitch. looked up his name. Yeah. He's in like every Melissa McCarthy movie. Mm-hmm. I hope that they, because Ed, I feel like, I feel like right now at the workplace, we got Lynette, we got Tom, we got Ed. I kind of like that there's like more maybe named characters coming into the, because I think she called him like Tommy or something. Yeah. He has a name. I Jerry. Th- Jerry, yeah. I-, I just think it'd be fun to have more identifiable characters and faces in the workplace. Yeah. And I really hope he is one of them. I hope he sticks around because I think he's very funny. I agree. This scene is essentially Jerry and Ed telling Lynette to go talk to Veronica to tell her to stop breastfeeding. Because she has boobs. Yeah. So she knows everything. Yeah. And she can't even do it with the the blinds drawn because everybody knows what's going on anyway and the kid's way too old yeah so that seems to be the gist is that everyone just is really freaked out by how old donovan is i don't know if we hear in this scene or the next but he's five he's yeah. or he just turned five which is pretty it's pretty old mm-hmm. i feel like most babies by the time they're walking and talking usually aren't breastfeeding but i mean we get to it more in the next scene yeah 
with with veronica yes and then we have a very beautiful transition of <laughs> gabby pouring milk we love visual comedy <laughs> carlos is getting a phone call from the lawyer and basically he gets told that libby is rejecting them as parents because she's racist she doesn't want her children being raised by a latinx family which is just a wild thing to be that blunt about but but gabby wants her racist girlfriend's baby so she basically is like i bet it's because she thinks we're poor we'll buy her all the gifts she wants because i want that gorgeous baby i'm gonna go show her our tax returns (laughs) it's like okay gabby Okay. And then we get to a scene and I have something I need to say to you. What? Why does Donovan, the child, dress like he's a 40-year-old at a golf course? Because his name's Donovan. <laughs> I was worried. What if this, what if Donovan, it's like the movie Orphan and he's actually like 38? Well, I mean, when when your parents decide to name you Donovan, you do age 40 years in the womb. <laughs> so you just come out looking like that. Oh my gosh. So we see this 40-year-old baby going into the ner- daycare Veronica is just watching him go off and Lynette approaches him and you know, Lynette, the, the sly dog she is tries to come in sort of with a sweet, like, Oh, he's so cute. How old is he? Five. Oh my gosh. And pretty much she tries to sneak in the conversation about, could you stop breastfeeding? Veronica takes offense to it immediately, which makes sense. Yeah. And kind of threatens to sue a little bit by saying like, if people have an issue with it, they can talk to my lawyer and Veronica says she believes it's Donovan's decision to make when he wants to stop breastfeeding. And she sort of insults Lynette's mothering, which I feel like is everyone's tactic with Lynette. Yes. Is insult their mothering by saying, you know, breastfeeding helps hire the baby's HQ. HQ? <laughs> breastfeeding you know heightens the baby's iq and look at your kids and we see the babies are just like throwing tables like it's fucking wwe super slam in there yeah that's basically that scene that's basically the scene how do you feel about this because i don't know how i feel about the breastfeeding thing i read some articles while i was watching this episode nice i am just neutral I yeah. don't think that, I mean, because obviously it's just breastfeeding. There's no, there's nothing else going on with it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of moms like to do a, uh, like, I want my child to be able to tell me when they're done. Seems like Veronica wants that too. I yeah. Guess, and, far as you know. and so sometimes that means they're a little bit older. Like I read this article where this woman was talking about like her child weaning off by themselves and they were like nine. Oh, and wow. they were like, Jesus. yeah, like my daughter would only breastfeed maybe once a month. But then she came up to me one day and said, I don't want to do it anymore. And I went, OK, <laughs> like I didn't realize that milk could produce that long into the the, the kid's life. I, I'm pretty sure as long as it's being like stimulated like that. I'm not a doctor. Please do not take my word for granted. <laughs> I'm a doctor. And I'm also I'm also not a parent. Um, <laughs> Same. But uh, I have the worst sources on this. I think if, like, your glands and things are actively being stimulated, you oh, can keep producing milk. I didn't realize that. Um, the more you know. And also, like, Veronica kind of brings this up when she's yelling at Lynette, but in other parts of the world, people do stop breastfeeding at different ages as well. It's just yeah. culturally not as accepted here. Um, so I'm very neutral. I, yeah. don't, I mean, like, I... Because it's like you're not hurting your kid... Yeah, so. I guess in my brain, I guess I, I do. I think I do have the 
gut instinct of being worded out because the kid is like walking talking with teeth yeah and is like in school but also I also am a firm believer of everyone needs to just stay in their own lane. Yeah. <laughs> so if it's like not hurting anybody, who am I to be bothered by somebody else's parenting? Like, yeah, the kid's not being hurt. I, I think it's interesting that this was such a hot button issue because everyone I feel like is always trying to put themselves in other people's business and make decisions for them. And she is completely allowed to parent her child in any way she wants. Yeah. I think a lot of people also inherently think of breastfeeding because there are breasts involved as some sort of sexual thing yeah and as like children get older people are like that child shouldn't be doing that because they're thinking about sex which (laughs) i don't think children of that age are thinking about sex as much as you think they are no i don't think so when i was a kid i i wasn't no not at all i think that bodies are bodies i don't think (laughs) yeah no I, I agree. Let's cut to a threesome. Ooh. Yeah. We got it's not Susan, gay. Carl, and Ron in the middle. It's not gay <laughs> if it's in a three-way. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're having a nice dinner. I, yeah. I mean, Carl tells some weird... Uh, they're coming into a weird story that Carl's telling. But Dr. Ron is actually quite charmed by Carl. And, and, and I think Carl... Carl has shown him that there's no romantic entanglements between him and Susan. And they get up to clean the dishes, I think. Or Carl does at first. But then Dr. Ron lingers to make out a little bit, I guess. Yeah. And that makes that makes Carl jealous. So what Carl does is he goes under the sink. Oh. And he kind of fucks the pipes. Literally. He, he fucks He gets his pipe. dick out. He, he fucks, fucks those the pipes. pipes. Yeah. And uh, when Ron comes in... He has him go to Delfino's house. This, I love this. Yeah. I thought Carl's being a little imp, and I thought it was very funny. I thought it was a very funny series of shenanigans of him being like, oh, there's a plumber across the street. Ask for Delfino. Yeah. Knowing to leave Mike out. And Dr. Ron runs. And then when fucking Susan comes out, and she's like, you sent him to Mike's? He goes, oh, I forgot. And <laughs> just such a fucking liar. But I thought it was so funny. I thought it was very funny. I just loved it. I thought this was fucking funny. Yes. And uh, Ron goes over, <laughs> finds out it's Mike. And immediately is a piss baby. Yes. Like, well, we, we know this about Dr. Ron. He's yeah, a piss baby. He is a piss baby. And I mean, he just immediately catches susan in this lie right and we've got to talk about it earlier the the weird shenanigans of susan attempting to fumble down the stairs and into the street in the wheelchair is happening because she's trying to make it to stop dr ron from these realizations but dr ron is like how long have you known her and mike says a year and a half did she not tell you that we dated (laughs) i clenched yeah i don't think we see exactly the last exchange that mike and ron have but we do kind of see ron storming out of mike's house mike kind of follows him out but lingers on his porch a little bit but from far away mike sees that susan tries to kind of stand up to hold on to ron and ron pushes her off of him and she falls to the ground and mike perceives that as ron intentionally physically like tried to hurt her i don't think he should have pushed someone who is 
recovering recovering from a surgery because yes. she lands on the ground and as soon as he sees her land, like i don't want to give dr My- dr ron points but as soon as he sees that he pushed her to the ground he freaks out he's like oh my god i'm so sorry but like, it's too late because she already bled out and susan's, susan's dead, now. dead now but mike thought he was being violent with her and so mike swoops in like a fucking white knight to to fight save fight for her honor or whatever and they start having an altercation they're not physically touching each other yet no and then mike turns around to leave and then dr ron chooses to push him which low fucking blow low blow low blow and this is why i hate dr ron (laughs) he has no honor and yet susan is mad at mike yeah because dr ron pushes him mike goes to fight him and susan tells him to stop and she breaks it up and Dr. Ron gets in his car and drives away. And then she gets mad at Mike. Mike was just defending her because Dr. Ron pushed her to the fucking asphalt, dude. You know what's fucked up that I just thought of? What? What if she's only mad at Mike because she is still in love with Mike. And so she is like able to voice herself more around him than she is around Dr. Ron. Maybe. Because she feels like she has to lie. Like, Every other day with Dr. Ron. Yeah. And Dr. Ron even says, I think before he storms off, you're still in love with him. And, and they have to be stuck with that. And she even went up to Mike and said, I'm getting married to my ex-husband for insurance purposes. And I needed to let you know. And she didn't do that to her active boyfriend. She's in love with Mike. And the more she is in denial about it, the like worse <laughs> off she is. Yes. Just be honest. Even Dr. Ron says you two are clearly still in love with each other. Just be together. Just be together. I'm team Mike. So am I. I mean, you you know this about me. Team Mikey Poo. <laughs> and don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like me? I can't believe they actually got this full song. They fucking licensed the Pussycat Dolls. That's wild. Incredible. But we are at the Serpent's Tongue. Libby is coaching this girl whose name is... Cecile? Cecile. And... I want to nominate Cecile for lesbian of the episode because Gabby comes in and Cecile's like, oh my God, that look, you look so good. Throw her in the bucket. Yeah. Can I just say this bucket we've got is a lot of hot ladies. Yes. Lesbian from True Blood, that character specifically. Yes. Gabby and now Cecile. Yes. What a and good bucket. The club, the serpent's tongue. This club, the serp- <laughs> that's that's the bucket right yes. now. They're all wafting in the yes. bucket that is the serpent's tongue. They all have their own pole. They're <laughs> dancing to call me by your name. Oh, yes. 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 This scene is essentially Gabby getting scammed. <laughs> uh... Libby and Gabby start talking. Gabby says she wants to start giving her gifts because they actually do have money. Look how rich we are. Yes. And Libby's like, hey, guess what? I'm not actually racist. (laughs) I just knew you were rich and was really mad when you lied about it. Which, what the fuck? (laughs) That would be the biggest red flag for me. Yes, a thousand red, a bazillion red flags have popped up for Libby. And... A big one is her pretending to be racist in order to get them to give her more money. And also, like, you you know, I don't even know if she was actually pretending. I'm not going to. I don't. I think that that's probably also just how she is. Yeah. Fucking weird why they Gabby really wants this baby from this woman. And she's done nothing but be terrible to them. But you know what? 
She's a scammer. She's a scammer and she's getting what she wanted because Gabby agrees to start giving her gifts, starting with the necklace that she's wearing. Gabby's going to be her sugar daddy. And they make an agreement to keep this under the table from the agent because it's illegal to like physically pay for a child. Another red flag that she wants to not have the lawyer involved. Yes. That's a big, that would be a big red flag, especially with, I'm surprised that Carlos would have been down for that with how much he's into prenups and postnups and things like that. Do we know that he knows? Probably not. So let's go to Lynette drinking a little chalky milk (laughs) and Donovan (laughs) walks in with his briefcase and goes, where is mama? (laughs) Knock, knock. I I am thirsty. And uh, the scene is just Lynette gives him chocolate milk to try to wean him off of breastfeeding. And it works. And it works, yeah. And then we cut to apparently a JC Penny with a bar in it. Yes. Do I need someone in the world to, to, to text us on our Instagram or Twitter, anywhere you can. I have never seen a bar in a Macy's before. Well, you is that real? You have to think about the fact that this bar in this Macy's in this mall is also in an airport. What? <laughs> I'm just assuming. <laughs> I just if anyone has ever seen a full bar at a department store for women's clothing, I would love to know if yeah. that's real because I've that I've never seen that in my life, and it made me laugh so hard. This is where I thought she was going to like get into a car crash because, to be honest, at first I didn't notice that she was in a J.C. Penny. You didn't. You just thought she was in a bar that was very well lit and had yeah. cardigans in the background. Yes, <laughs> I've been to multiple of those. If I had a nickel for how many cardigan bars I've been to, I'd have seventeen with exclusively forty-plus-year-old women with highly teased hair and also twinks and because. Twinks. Andrew and Justin are there. Andrew. And Bree says, um, Andrew, what are you doing? You're supposed to be grounded. Go home. And then <sighs> Justin get a new boyfriend challenge because Andrew starts saying, well, you can't um, do that to me because I don't think you want this to go to court. Because if this goes to court, I'm going to start to bring up some memories that I'm, I've been having recently of abuse. And not the kind you're thinking. And so I, I do want to trigger warning that this, that, that the, it's a very tiny moment, but it does discuss child sexual abuse because Andrew is beginning to insinuate that he will tell the court that Brie molested him basically as a child. I was very confused because in the background, Justin looks appalled by this the entire yeah. time. And yet when Andrew and Justin go to leave, he kind of gives this look to Brie being like, fuck you and when the entire rest of the time in the background he was looking like appalled i couldn't really read that face when they walked off because i couldn't yeah. tell if it was him trying to say he was sorry i i, I could not i couldn't i don't know if that was a well-directed moment for me maybe I, i'm worried they maybe forgot about him in the scene with the directing because it was a little confusing for me what justin feels about it yeah because if that was my partner i would be completely appalled i'd be like what the hell are you doing mm-hmm. i understand the need to get away but like that's just a very far step to take it to i don't understand how andrew's tactic is like i'll just lie all the time is that allowed in court (laughs) i'm not quite sure it's and and andrew points out even if your friends 
say they believe you there will always be a part of them that wonders but what if she did do it which Mm -hmm. i do think is true yes because i think that once you get that in your brain about somebody it's hard to shake it even if you want to try to believe them that they didn't do anything it's always there Mm -hmm. and so it is a weird tactic of that could hurt her badly in court but also would ruin her reputation Mm. which is something she cares about more so i would say yeah i just i don't understand his tactic being just like lie and make shit up i i'm confused at where this will go for andrew and how this will end up shaking out um yeah and then immediately after that exchange brie goes back to the bar and tells the bartender to leave the bottle wow and we then cut to brie in an emerald dress in the dark in a dressing room because she passed out she had to have fallen like to the ground and just passed out. Yeah, how and she was like trying on clothes yeah. at the department store and she had the bottle in there with her. Yeah. That's and a lot We see a bunch of shenanigans of her attempting to get break out, which I thought she, was pretty funny. She like takes a mannequin arm and tries to unlock it. I'm surprised she didn't alert any alarms or anything. Yeah. She then like gets the cage at the front of the doors open a bit and she tries to squeeze through but her glorby schlorbies get stuck (laughs) (laughs) um and she calls somebody for help and it is peter peter and i'm pretty sure we pretty quickly cut to him arriving with the security guard they get brie out the security guard i'm I swear to God, looks directly into the camera as he's taking the selfie of him and Brie. Yes. That and was so funny. It's <laughs> very funny. But Peter is really sweet. I don't know. So far, I like this guy. He seems very kind. And, and they go sit in his car. And, she, and she's able to actually talk honestly and openly about her feelings, which I feel like we haven't seen her do in a long time here's the thing what's up we're watching desperate housewives yes it's 2006 2006 baby march this is a cis straight man and a cis straight woman as far as i know that these characters are both straight um i shrug i don't know about peter (laughs) um (laughs) peter a bicon he could be we'll find out we'll find out (laughs) is he a bicon (laughs) he's a bicon finally (laughs) i'm shrugging to try to hide i i told i always tell you i won't give you spoilers i know but your luck but this is this is a cis man and a cis woman on tv in 2006 and they are being very genuine with each other which scares me because that makes me think they're gonna kiss (laughs) that's the rules that's the that's the law it is it really is if you if you just have a man and a woman in in 2006 and there's only 2006 if they're standing next to each other if they have one meaningful glance of eye contact Must they have kiss. to kiss yeah you're right that is the law so that's one thing that worries me about this char- this new character introduction mm-hmm. but the scene was very nice it was very um genuine it was marcia cross acting we love an acting queen she's sort of saying how sad she feels now that rex is gone she feels like her life has just gone to shit and mm-hmm. she doesn't know how to keep things under control anymore and he's being really present and kind to her. And I think that just makes sense for the, t- um, him being in the anonymous program. Be- and I think he's basically her sponsor at this point. You know what I mean? Like he, he wants her to call it. That's what you do when you're in rock bottom, when you're in a bad place, you call your sponsor and you talk it out. And I think that he is doing a good job as a sponsor in this scene, just listening to her 
being present with her and it it makes me sad that i feel like she she feels like maybe she can't be this honest with the ladies because i don't think we've heard her really talk about her feelings even about rex's death since like since he's died i don't think she's had someone she feels like she could talk to and i bet a big part of it is that she doesn't know him very well and it makes it easier to talk to somebody who doesn't necessarily know the you that you are presenting to the world especially because her therapist um she has a, i mean he's not dead he's not dead but she's just stop going to therapy maybe maybe that's sad she needs to start going to therapy again um yeah but also remember when lynette had a breakdown and everyone agreed to be honest with each other where'd that go Oh, the writers forgot. The writers completely forgot. That was a very good scene. It was good. And then we cut to an interesting place. Yes. We cut to Danielle arriving home. Nobody else is there. She even calls out to people. Nobody really responds. She gets to her room. Her door is cracked and the light is on. And when she goes inside, Caleb is there. Mm -hmm. He got her a gift for her birthday. And she calls him a freak. Like, yeah, he's being very insistent on her wearing it and it's, it's scaring her, I think, I think. And so, yeah, she, she hits it out of his hand, I think, and calls him a freak and tells him to run away. And he leaves, which is upset though. He looks very upset. He looks upset, but this is maybe the biggest indicator. If I didn't have any inkling before this, that he really did not kill Melanie Foster because he got rejected by Melanie and quote unquote killed her. Mm-hmm. He's getting rejected by Danielle kind of in the same way. And he is not doing anything harmful. Yeah. It could also just be growth or he knows that he's not supposed to anymore. Or... That's true. If I'm wrong and he did kill this woman, I apologize for everything I've said. <laughs> your prediction corner. It's yeah. just your prediction corner. Yeah. Everyone loves your prediction corner. I love okay. your prediction corner. Okay. I love you. I love you too. Oh shit. You know who else I love? Who? Donovan. <laughs> Donovan, yes. I love chalky milk. I love chalky and milk. And so does Donovan. Something we did not mention earlier oh, that is very important to this scene Ooh. is that uh Veronica breasts likes breastfeeding because like she loses weight. Oh, she did mention that like in the beginning that like it's a good weight loss thing. Yeah. Which I didn't even realize was a was a thing. <laughs> It's not a huge thing. I also did look that up. Oh, nice. Uh, people can lose like one to two pounds a week. It, breastfeeding usually burns like 500 calories a day on average. That's not like a ton. That's not yeah. enough to like keep her skinny from eating a thousand donuts or whatever the comment oh, they were making but earlier it's, was. It's the breastfeeding and the fast metabolism. Ah, oh, there you go. You gotta, <laughs> com- you gotta combine them. You gotta have both. <laughs> but Lynette sees Veronica weeping because... Donnie, oh, little Donnie doesn't want to take her milk anymore. Yeah. And this is where we find out that, like, she's very upset because she was using it as her way of losing weight. So, like, what is she going to do now? Yeah. Which is the moment I went, all right, um, I don't like that. Yeah. Like, it made more sense to me when it was about her son and about what he wanted and needed nutritionally and also for his own comfort but th- it was just about her losing weight do you know what we forgot what do we forget lynette is the only good parent of children in the <laughs> world so whenever we are given another parent whose parenting styles differentiate from hers they are automatically a worse parent than she is because they're bad people lynette is the only good parent because of children <laughs> remember when those people made a porno 
I, how could I forget <laughs> that the dad from 10 Things I Hate About You made a kinky porn? Yeah. I, I'm just saying it's our fault for forgetting that. You're right. Lynette is the only parent. I forgot. And then we get one quick scene before ending that I really like with Susan and Mike. Yes. Susan yes. is reading and Mike comes over and Susan's mad at him. And Mike sits down and he tries to explain himself and say like, hey, I was just trying to protect you. You know, I, I care about you a lot. Like, like, and she mentions like, I just upset him and I just need to work it out with him. And you didn't help with that by making him that angry. And Mike wants to know what she did and she can't tell him. Well, and she thinks about telling him, but then Julie comes in. When Mike says, you can tell me anything, you know that. He looked so soft and sweet. And the look she gave him back. She oh, knew. I saw that love. I just, I want them to be together. I, I just, I want them to be together. I genuinely think if Julie didn't interrupt that moment, she would have said, I, I love you. I, I also agree. I fucking agree. But the- Julie comes in and Dr. Ron is calling back. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, it, it just goes back to what I said earlier with, she she can't help but be completely honest with this man because she he is the him. love of her life. Mike is love. <laughs> Mike is love. And that transitions us into the ending of the episode. We get our Mary Alice monologue. Yes. Um, we get some quick shots of Brie finally giving up all of her alcohol. Taking it to Goodwill? The That's box was funny. labeled Goodwill. Yeah, you know, when you go to Goodwill and they have the alcohol section. Yeah, you drop off some of your gently used clothing items and your bottles of wine. Oh my god. I thought of a question for later. So oh, thank let's god, keep thank going. God. Is this little bit with Dr. Ron in the finale monologue, is that are they breaking up, you think? I don't know. I couldn't tell. Because the monologue was about severing ties and Dr. Ron looked a little sad, but I could not tell if, if she was actually breaking up with him or not. I hope she was. I hope so too. <laughs> and then after the monologue ends near the end of it, near I the think, end, yeah. we get Libby and a man comes up behind her, uh, and starts asking about the baby. She knows who the dad is. Yeah. She's a scammer. She's a scammer. And that is the end of the episode. I know we've talked about the things we like already about this episode, but I just want to point out, I really like how they are doing Brie, or at least how they did Brie this episode, because I know we have some issues with plot points being brought up, and then the next episode, or later in that episode, it's just resolved, and it's treated like nothing ever happened. Yes. I enjoy how at the beginning of this episode, we got to see Brie at AA and be like, I've been coming here, but... I don't really need it to a, oh, maybe this is something I do need. Yeah. And I think that honestly, the last like, and it mirrors the previous episode, um, not to interrupt no, you, no, no, please, please. but last episode, you know, she was packing up her alcohol, but she had the one bottle hidden mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, this episode mm-hmm. it's all going to goodwill. <laughs> yeah. And I also think, and sorry to interrupt you just to agree with you. I think that the buildup of this storyline with Brie has been very well done. Like in terms of like, it's been a pretty decent build. Like I would say like at least an eight episode build of the storyline, but it hasn't felt repetitive. Like sometimes the Apple whites do, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's and then sometimes how like Gabby and Carlos's season one storylines felt really repetitive. Like mm-hmm. I think that they've done a really good job with Brie in 
building it for a long period of time without it being repetitive. And I think a lot of that is also due to just the way they've they've placed things and spread it out. But also Marsha Cross's performance. I think she's been really selling this arc with Brie in a really good way. So even though I don't love... Like how we were saying last episode, we weren't really happy with where Bree's at because we care about her. We want her to be a good person. I do think Marsha Cross is really acting this arc very well as an actress. I think, yeah, she's, I I think agree. she's awesome. I love Marsha Cross. And that was 217, baby. Hell yeah. Oh, we got to pick a lesbian of the episode. Oh, we got to pick a lot. I, I got to be honest. I got to live my truth. Gabby. Gabby wanting to fuck Libby. I, yes. And we, it's been a while since we've had a woman with a capital W, meaning, um, (laughs) one of the housewives. (laughs) I agree. And like, she was, she was into Libby. She was into Libby. I think she still is into Libby. I think I meant to say wife instead of woman, but here we are. She's, Gabby is a woman. She's a woman with a capital W. She's a woman a wife, baby. (laughs) W.W. Thank you. I think that I think that this should be Gabby wanting to fuck Libby. Okay, so lesbian of the episode, Gabby, Gabby wanting, wanting to, to fuck, fuck Libby. Libby. <laughs> if you want to connect with us, Wisteria Gaze on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Wisteria Gaze or on Instagram at Wisteria Gaze underscore, as well as our website wisteriagaze.com. Yeah, and on that website you can find some great links like our merch page mm-hmm. and our Discord and our Patreon. Our Patreon. Our Patreon's great. Uh if you are a patron, you help support us and support yes. our show. And you get some really fun cool things like a monthly video postcard, ad-free episodes, as well as show notes. Um and also, also, episode <laughs> shout-outs. So yeah. we're going to take the next minute to shout-out our patrons. We'd like to shout-out AJ, Alan, Annie, Cheryl, Elise, Helena, Liv, Megan, Nadia, Rebecca, Tom, Vincent. Thank you so much for being our patrons. You freaking rock. You're the juiciest of all. I love you. I'll kiss every single one of you. Oh, my God. Kiss on the mouth. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> so you take what you get yeah. with, with us. I'll kiss you right on the mouth. Speaking of taking what you can get, <laughs> I love when we can get reviews. <laughs> okay. All right. I don't know. I was just trying out a new transition. I loved it. Please. And... Reviews help the show. It helps people find the show. Yes. And we just love reading them. At the end of every episode, we like posing a question to just get those review juices flowing in your brains. Mm-hmm. They're never required. They're just fun. And here's my pitch. Okay, what is it? What weird thing are you finding at, in uh, Fairview's Goodwill? Is that like a good one? I just thought I just thinking about how much like weird shit these people must get rid of. What are oh if yes, they're yes, getting yes, rid yes, of yes, like yes. alcohol and stuff do you know like what, that? Do you know what I'm finding? What? I'm finding a writing crop oh. engraved with Edie Britt's name. <laughs> okay. That she got rid of when she got a new one. Mm-hmm. But I'm finding it and I'm gonna I'm absolutely buying Edie Britt's old writing crop from Okay. From Goodwill. Yes. All right. What are you finding? I am finding all of Susan's artwork. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> Just all of it. Whenever she finishes a painting, she gives it away. Or she sends it to her publishers. And then they and give then they, it away. They don't, they're like, this is shit. And they don't. Yeah. That's very good. Oh, I love our Goodwill haul yeah. from Fairview Goodwill. 
Uh, so when you leave us a review, or if you're in our Discord, uh, <laughs> yes. tell us what you find in the Fairview Goodwill. Oh, amazing. If you want to find me, Liz, on any form of social media, you can find me at the Pigeon Wizard. You can find me, Mackenzie, at Mackenzie Wilkes. Other than that, Mackenzie. What's up? I love you. I love you. <gasps> Everyone else, <laughs> stay juicy. Stay juicy. Stay juicy.